What's up, everyone? This is Peter Neal from GSP REI, and you're listening to the Real Estate Investing On Point Podcast. This podcast is designed to help both active and passive real estate investors take their real estate investing game to the next level so that you can grow a successful real estate investing business or find out what to look for when you're investing passively in a real estate investment business. Let's get right into it. All right. Hello and welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing On Point. I am Peter Neal and I'm here with Ron Lockhart and Wade Carroll. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Good. Doing great. See, <laughs> you have your Phillies hat on there. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a little bit more casual than I would normally be. As you probably both know, I'm usually, uh, you know, dress shirt and uh, maybe jeans, dress dress pants and uh, a jacket, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, we just got back from the, uh, the Bigger Pockets conference in Orlando. I'm still... Still recovering from that. My head's uh, kind of all over the place. You know, took a, took in a lot of information, had a lot of great conversations, and um, and stood up for a really long time. So uh, <laughs> yeah, my feet are hurting still. Uh, but Ron, you were there with me. Uh, maybe we'll kick off the show with kind of talking about our our reaction and our our feedback and you know just thoughts and things like that. And uh, I think it's one of those things like I'll kind of kick it off. Um, you know, we've been I've been back for a day now, and um, I think it, it's still all so, soaking in. You know, and w- with our tickets, we weren't really able to sit in on um, the content, so a lot of my takeaway and, you know, just overall feelings around the conference and, you know, what's going on, what was kind of trending, what was hot, all that kind of stuff is is going to come from, you know, just conversations that I had and conversations that I overheard and, and things like that. Um, so there's, you know, it seems like there, there was some certain trends that stood out and, uh, I, you know, what was, what was your thought? Maybe, you know, maybe I'll kick it over to you. What, what was your initial uh, takeaway. What did you think of the conference? You know, let's talk about it. Uh, I thought it was a great conference. I you know, bigger pockets did a great job. Uh, a lot of people there. Um, it was well organized. Definitely a lot of different topics floating around. And if I had to narrow in on one common theme, it would be that from all my conversations with different operators, investors, and so on, is that People are trying to figure out where this market is heading from a real estate standpoint. And that means residential, commercial, um, all facets. And, you know, I I don't feel like there was any one clear consensus. Um, A lot of times I felt like I was having conversations with people that have experience in one niche and they were trying to justify why their niche is still the best investment out there. And sometimes I think that can be a recipe for disaster when you're trying to force fit something. Um, Because the current environment that we're in doesn't necessarily suit all areas of real estate or all real estate markets. And it's not that there's not deals to be had in those different spaces. I just think that you have to be extremely cautious. You have to be very diligent. 
and be be picky as well. Um, I think that there are some areas of real estate that uh, offer a lot of opportunity right now, and we can certainly get into that later. But that was really my biggest takeaway: is that uh, there's a lot of a lot of trying to figure it out going on right now, and and that's understandable. You know, we have an uncertain uh, interest rate environment. There's a lot of geopolitical um, issues in multiple areas of the world, and so I can understand why people are trying to figure it out. Yeah, you you make a really good point, and um, I think that that's definitely when you're in a room like that with so many investors that span the spectrum from active to passive, you know, other operators who are, you know, looking to, they're very active in the business. They're constantly looking for deals. I mean, that's their bread and butter. That's how they live. That's how they make their living. Um, to other people who, you know, work a nine to five job or, or even are, they're an entrepreneur in another field, uh, you know, who invest passively or, or invest actively, but, you know, they buy a, a couple deals a year or one or two or something like that. I mean, so, yeah, you kind of you hear so many different perspectives, and um, and two, it reminds you that there's there's macro trends in the industry, like interest rates and things like that, that's affecting everyone. Um, but there's also micro trends. And I mean, it's like you talk to some people, they have no issue finding deals whatsoever because of the certain area they're in and the strategy they deploy, um, which is kind of similar to what we do with, with in Baltimore and with single family rentals. You know, you hear people are like, well, how can you find things that pencil out? And it's like, well, we're not having an issue with that at all. You I mean, but then you talk to other people who they have a different strategy. Maybe it's 200 unit apartment complexes in the South in a market, you know, that's been booming and now starting to pull back or, you know, with interest rates and with rents where they're at. And I mean, they're, they're finding it hard to find, to have deals pencil out and find sellers that are willing to sell for the price that they need to, for, in order to make the deal make sense. Um, so it's, I think it's like you always got to put things into perspective and realize, you know, depending on the strategy and depending on the, the area that people invest in uh, location wise, that it, there's big differences going on. And I think one of the things that we had discussed was, you know, that the common theme of what maybe what you've done depend and this depends, you know, I mean, on what your strategy is, but maybe what you've done over the past couple of years um, it, it, that was working might not work moving forward. And I mean, so like you said, people are looking for, you know, how to take in all the information and how to, uh, how to, how it can, you know, change, you know, the, the way they do business and, and things like that moving forward. Um, I think another big, uh, topic that I heard a lot was, was the social media side and the community. What, what did you think about that, Ron? I, I know, uh, we talk a lot about this. It's not your, it's not your background or forte, you know, in, in, in social media and posting and community and all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean, but it seemed like such a heavy theme. You know I mean, that people, there's a lot of people that have a good track record and success when it comes to raising money and, and, you know, finding educational clients and things like that, you know, all through social media. Now it just seemed like such a big topic that I heard over and over again. Yeah, it's look. It's not that I have an issue with community. I think community is a great thing. I think it's a fantastic way to learn. I mean, going back to one of our past episodes talking about the education component of that, I I, I think that it definitely plays a role. My, my biggest problem, probably, with what I see on the social media platforms, 
there's a lot of people out there with not a lot of experience that make it sound like it's easy. And it may be easy for a deal or two, but show me five, 10 years of it being easy. And I think you're going to find that most people that have been doing this for 5, 10, 15, 20 years will tell you, you are going to have your ups and downs. You're going to have your learning curve. You know, the last five years, we've talked about this. Money was extremely cheap. We had a global pandemic that contributed to off-the-charts appreciation. That is not the norm. That's not what you'll find over the last 20 years. So I think it's it's easy to market you know, a couple of deals like, hey, look, this is so easy. I can raise money. My, you know, I made 30% on this deal. How many deals have you done? How long have you been doing this? And I think it's a little bit dangerous because I think there are people that are actually listening to what these people are saying and that they think it's that easy. And in some cases, they're spending their harder money on programs and platforms that they may not generate a nickel. So I think you have to be careful. And I think people need to be responsible with what they're putting out there. Yeah, I think you you think you make a really good point there. And, uh, you know, that 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 could be good. That could be a, a good thing to think about for passive investors when they're looking for uh, an operator to invest in or looking to invest in a certain deal. You know, how long has that person been around and what what ups and downs have they gone through and things like that? You know, what I mean, so I, I think um, I think what you're saying there that makes makes a lot of sense. And uh, there's certainly you know, it, it, for me, I, you know, I've always had really good mentors in real life that I wasn't, I didn't have to like buy a course in order to learn, you know, certain things. I had people I could call and people I could fall back on. And when you see like, you know, how many people do those courses, and we did talk about this on a past uh, show, you know, I mean, it, it, it makes you think, it makes me think differently of, you know, and not take for granted the relationships that you have and, um, you know, the people that, that are there for you that can help and, uh, you know, that you can call and things like that. Cause uh, getting into the business with no experience, no background whatsoever. I mean, that's, it, it, it's a big world and there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, that is, um, they had that one table with all the pins on it, you know, from short-term rentals and midterm rentals and multifamily buy and hold, uh, you know, you, there was just so many syndications and, um, fix and flips. And there's just so many different things you can do. It's like, how do you, how do you decide? And, you know, how do you pick somebody who, um, who, who you think's the right fit that's going to be able to help you. And it's going to make sense with your, your goals and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, it, it seems like you really have to know, you know, what it is that you're looking to do. You know what I mean? Like, what is your goal? You know, I mean, do you just want to invest or do you want to start a business? I know we talked about this before. Um, Wade, let's get you into the mix. What do you uh, What do you think? And I know you weren't there, but hearing uh, like what we're talking about and all that kind of stuff, and you know, has real estate been uh, has it been easy for you in the last five to ten years? Was it always just easy breezy or what? Doesn't he have? The, well, I have a question. Well, I, Sorry, I, I was going to say, don't you have the biggest social media presence of the three of us? I mean, yours oh, is. Me? You're right. I'm up huge. There, you're right up there with the Kardashians. <laughs> I'm huge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so t- I, I wasn't there. So you said there was a table. 
for participants to get a pin and put it on their yeah, so it says I do multifamilies or I do. So you have whatever. you have your badge, you know, with your name on it and all. Uh, what did you say, Ron? It's Flair. It's Flair. Remember that movie where they yeah where yeah yeah Flair and the, the waitresses or waiters. <sighs> that was what was that? Was that the Flair? office? The office, not, not the office. The, office uh, space. Office space. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> with Jennifer Aniston. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I know the scene you're talking about. Yeah. The uh, yeah, the flare. I didn't see anyone like that. I didn't see anyone that had you know every single pin <laughs> lined up. Like they just do it all. You know what I mean? Whatever, whatever it is in real estate, they do it. But just it's just a way to uh, to let the your fellow you know attendees you know know right off the bat without even having to talk to you, you know what it is that you do. You know what I mean? So I think I had so, one that said syndications, burr, you know, buy rent, um, buy rehab rent refinance, I mean, that kind of thing and, and buy and hold, you know what I mean? Cause I felt like those three kind of describe what, what we do and what I like all that kind of stuff. So. But as we were mentioning before we started recording, do you think then that cultivates perceptions of people that perhaps if I'm, you know, buy rehab, rent, repeat or whatever versus I'm a multifamily syndicator uh, there's a, a certain hierarchy of investments that cause one to maybe look down on another. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, you bring up a good point. That was one of the things I actually wanted to talk about. Probably a good transition. Like, so one thing that I heard over and over again, and not just at the conference, I hear this all the time, is people that invest in in single family that want to graduate up. Like I feel like that graduate up is is a term that I hear all the time. I don't know if somebody has said it on a podcast or something like that or what, but mm. I hear that term all the time. They 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 want to graduate up. So it's like, what do you do now? I invest in single family rentals, but you know, I, I'm going to graduate up to multifamily. You know, I'm going to graduate up to self storage or hotels or you know, it's usually something in the in the world of commercial. Um, so what, what are your guys' uh, thoughts on that? I mean, cause I kind of laugh cause I think, you know, I look at what institutions are doing, you know what I mean? And, and they've, in a sense, I guess some of them have graduated down <laughs> if, if that's what, if that's the hierarchy, you know what I mean? Where, you know, the retail investors, there seems to be this theme where they're all graduating up and out of single family to something better. Yeah, and then they are. Then you have these institutional investors who apparently they're graduating down and they're buying up uh, single-family properties in 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 droves. You know what I mean? And they have been, and they want, and they're they have maybe haven't been so much recently, but they want to be. They just can't find enough to buy. Uh, so, what's your thoughts on uh, graduating up to um, to multifamily? And and you guys have been doing this longer than I. Why haven't you guys graduated up yet? I think when people say they graduate up, they've reached a point, and this is not everybody, because there are some very, very good multifamily operators out there, and there's money to be made there. I'm not taking anything away from that. But you have people that reach a certain point at a single family level where they think it's a pain in the behind. You know, scaling in single family is much more challenging than scaling in multifamily. But if you're able 
and you're successful to scale in single family, that speaks to the type of operator and operation you have. Because I'll put the margins of single family against multifamily per door any day. But you've got to be a really good operator to do it, too. You know, it's not for everybody. Um, One of the reasons I feel like we have a lot of success in it is because of our structure, because of our experience. Um, I think it benefits us. And uh, I I would rather own 100,000 single-family rentals than 100,000 doors in multifamily. But that's just me. Yeah, I agree. We've said this before. If you're going to survive in real estate, you have to be a bit of a chameleon. And, th- and that can be not, not just the type of asset you're investing in, but it, the form in which you're doing it, perhaps. But clearly, the last decade has been a cherry season for multifamily trades. It has gotten a, a huge amount of success. But I, I mean, I don't, I don't think a lot of people would argue that it's, it maybe it's already peaked, but it's certainly about to if it has. I would say it's already peaked, and that's why it's more and more difficult to find a prop, profitable multifamily deal. Having single family assets all over the place, clearly that's not the case. In sorry, single family. Did I say multi? Having single family all over the place now, there's clearly opportunities in many markets for good deals with single family. And like you said, Baltimore's uh, we do very well in Baltimore. Uh, we're doing fairly well in Tulsa. We're doing fairly well in Birmingham. But other markets, you get into Colorado, you know, Denver's and Colorado Springs. Yeah, that's it's difficult. So you don't buy there. But if you don't have the capability to buy in multiple markets or seek those winners out, then, you know, if you're stuck buying in Miami, well, that's that's a different story. But I I have never, I started out with, with hotels, small limited service hotels. And we basically do the same thing with them. We'd buy, we'd renovate, uh, refinance, hold them for a few years and and sell them. And so that's very much commercial. You know, we're dealing with SBA loans and and a higher interest rate on a commercial deal. And none of it was non-recourse back then. It was all, you know, you're personally guaranteeing everything. And and then you have the the management of it, housekeeping and front desk staff and Looking back now, I mean, I like the hotel business, but I would much rather deal with the simplicity of single families, even if they're scattered about. I think that's that's easier work than you know managing a hotel. And and to the same degree, a multifamily you have similar things. You're going to have groundskeepers. You're going to have maintenance staff. You're going to have somebody operating the front desk. I've never felt the need or the compulsion to graduate uh ron we talk about this a lot i mean when you start thinking about it it's it's easy to buy a single family home right it's not it's not i don't need an sba loan to do that you just need a little bit of money and a lender and and if you bought it right and you renovate it right you refinance you get your money back Mm -hmm. and then you go do it again like i mean you don't even need that much money if you if you have patience and just start going it's not like i need to go raise 10 million bucks because by the time you refinance, you have all your money back and you just keep doing it again. So I'm surprised that people get, I don't know, disappointed in it or discouraged or feel like they need to now buy a multi or go buy a hotel. Or, um, well, 
I think a lot of it has to do with what they're hearing, you know, whether on social media, at conferences, any form of marketing, I hear people regurgitate the same thing over and over and over again. I don't hear a lot of original thought. And that's, that's disturbing to me too. Um, I also think there's no delayed gratification either. You know, walking before you run. We had a conversation yeah. with somebody down there that was talking about buying that they had under contract hotels that they were converting to apartments and not mm. on a small scale. And I'm listening to this person talk about it. And I'm just thinking, you, you're going to get crushed. Like you are not thinking any of yeah. this through, you know, and you already are under contract and you haven't done some of the most basic due diligence that you should have done before you went under contract. It's just, oh, well, we're going to do it while we're in due diligence. You know, when you're trying to get variances, get something rezoned, there is no way unless unless you have a a a, a very extended um, closing time frame. There's just no way you're gonna. It's gonna happen. I mean, parking variances, this, that, the other thing, and it it was a little frightening to hear it. To be honest with you, because if that's the way people are thinking, and that they're digesting all this information out there. And deciding, hey, this is a good idea. I'm not so sure it is because I just listened to you for five minutes. And I can poke about a dozen holes in what you just said. Well, I I don't know how that person came up with the the contract price when they hadn't done any of that due diligence, when they didn't know what anything was going to cost. I mean, and like the, the commercial agent part of me is thinking who the heck helped them to do that you know what i mean because like no no any no commercial real estate agent would ever allow i would i would think allow you to do that and then they'd have to go back to the seller you know to now try to negotiate the price down when you find out you know it's going to cost x amount of square foot for the redevelopment or you know the taxes or the attorney fees and the zoning or whatever the, the laundry list of things that could make that proper make those numbers not pencil out at what the contract price was or whatever. But um, hopefully that conversation was an anomaly, Ron. I, I hope more people have a little bit more guidance and and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it, some people have this kind of lackadaisical like I. Well, I hope it all works out, and like it, it doesn't have to be that way. You know what I mean? Like I think we've talked about this before, and what Wade's Wade has has said it before, and you're just kind of saying it. Like there, there is a certain simplicity, you know. And I, I, you, I try to pick the words carefully because I don't think there's anything necessarily easy in any any form of real estate investing. You know, everything's takes hard work and time and thought and and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know. The simplicity in the sense of of what do you, what can you get you know what what needs to go into it you know, I mean what can you get from a rent perspective or or a sale perspective on the outside of it you know and how much can you pay for it it's it's you know and then what, what's your money cost and all that kind of stuff it's relatively straightforward you know and and what needs to happen um, but I think you know it had come to mind what I was thinking earlier I think a lot of people's turn off with with single family 
is the property management. I think a lot of people like they, it's like they want to invest in real estate, but they don't want to manage properties and they don't want to deal with tenants. And, um, and I just, you know, I think it's a shame. I mean, because I, I think a lot of people probably have, have had really bad experiences because, you know, maybe their tenant screening wasn't as good as it should have been or, or whatever it is. And there's always going to be those anomalies where somebody's great when they move in and then, you know, a life change happens or, you know, it's like the Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing. You know what I mean? And, and all of a sudden, you know, it could it could be a year later or two years later and all of a sudden you're dealing with a different person. I get that. And I've had that happen to me in my own life. But um I think it's, I really think, you know, people, a lot of people are really afraid and intimidated by the property management. And like, I, I think you made the point, Ron, you know, in order to to manage single family at scale, you have to be a good operator and you can't be afraid to deal with tenants and you can't be afraid to manage properties and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, so many people look at multifamily as I could just get a property manager, you know, because of the size of it, I could justify like a better property manager or something. And I think a lot of that could be, you know, just kind of what's been sold to them through, you know, masterminds and things like that, you know what I mean, where they sell a course on, hey, you can, it's easy to syndicate multifamily or you can learn how to do it easily or something like that. So, um I think I think a lot of it comes down to the property management. And I know for this podcast, we like to, you know, kind of talk about current events and what we're thinking and, and what's hot on our minds um at the time of recording. And then we like to get into, you know, something a little bit more detailed. And we've been talking about, you know, dealing with general contractors and what should be in, in the contract and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, maybe today we talk a little bit more about like the property management side of things. Cause it just seems like a, it seems like that's, that's a huge part of the issue when it comes to people and, and single family is they're just, they're just afraid to, to manage and they're intimidated by, you know, dealing with tenants and that kind of thing. Would you agree? Am I, am I off base here? Or that That's, my gut feeling. And, and then uh, one other thing too, to go back to like the conference, you know, people really like short-term rentals. What, what's your guys' thoughts on short-term and mid-term rentals? Me, I, I talk to investors all the time. Recession is constantly a, a theme. And I mean, people are always concerned about recession and how is your strategy going to, you know, how's it going to react during a recession? And I think you know, when it comes to to the strategy of short-term rentals and mid-term rentals, it seems like that, I don't know, it doesn't seem like the best recession proof, especially if the property only makes sense from a cash flow perspective, if you're getting those, that, you know, that increase in the net operating income from the short-term rents. So what what are you guys thinking? What, what's your thoughts on short-term rentals? Wait. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I'm a bit ignorant. Um, I don't have a lot of experience with them. I know up here in the valley, uh, you know, since COVID, the uh, short-term rentals have exploded. In fact, I, I would I would blame a certain amount of our appreciation in in single-family homes up here uh, due to that. How many people have second, third, and fourth homes here, and they short-term rent them all? Um, but you know, post COVID, now up here in Montana. Uh, that's a problem. We we don't have nearly the traffic we did uh, in 2000, 2001, even 2002. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I do believe there's a place for it. Um, we have a couple interesting properties in our last portfolio that we may be experimenting with that. But one's on the water in Delaware. Another one's on the water on uh, uh, Lake McQueenie in Texas. They're just, you know, they're special properties um, where I think you could get that type of traffic. But um, but you're basically in the hotel business. So I, you know, it, they're the last couple, we rented a couple in uh, Whitefish just not long ago. And uh, it's they're basically full service hotels, practically. Um, so if you don't like property management, I think that's worse. Uh, but I, I'm sure there are markets around where that that's valuable. I'm just I'm not that knowledgeable of it. Yeah, and I think look, it, it has its place if you can buy right. It's in the right market. I certainly don't think it works in all markets, um, and a lot of the markets that it 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 does work for, you know, second home markets, vacation markets, a lot of them. To Wade's point, in in Montana, you know, you've had so much appreciation; it's not easy to find them. And mm-hmm. I do think some investors that are investing in those high dollar markets, luxury markets for short-term rentals, they've got a lot of money. Um, They could be looking at their strategy, maybe both cash flow and appreciation, you know, because they're just not, it's hard to find any additional real estate in those areas. Um, So I think that's a possibility, Uh, but I've also seen it in local small town markets where, People are in town for work. They don't want to stay in the city. So they stay about 30 minutes out in an Airbnb because mm-hmm. it's, it's not as expensive as the hotels. But that also kind of goes hand in hand with this changing work environment post-COVID. You know, not as many people in the office. Uh, they may be traveling a little bit more. But when they're not traveling, they're working from home. And that ties in a little bit to the midterm rentals where there may require a longer stay that's multiple months. If you really understand these markets and you can make money, I'm I'm sure you can. Uh, I, I think you're limited to how much you can scale like that. I think you run into some more zoning issues in certain areas when it comes to short-term rentals or you can um well and in some markets too they're they're charging hotel taxes on airbnbs and that's significant yeah so and then once they start passing that along to the consumer you know that changes their thought process you know when i look at the potential for a short-term rental the way i would look at it is if it pencils out as a long-term worst case scenario, then okay. You know, I'd be okay with that. You know, short term's not my, my not my focus. Midterm isn't really my focus. Although we do have insurance companies come to us when they've had um, some of their insured who are displaced because of fire, flood, whatever it may be, and they want to rent a house for six months. And you can really get a premium when you do that. The question is, do you want to take that six-month rental, nine-month rental, as opposed to that two-year rental. Um, So that's all decision-making. 
But, you know, if you have a large single family portfolio, you have some flexibility and you may be able to capitalize on some of those midterm rentals with higher price points because they're significant. I mean, I, I've seen them almost double what the normal rent is from an insurance company for six months. So I'm not going to say I think short-term rentals are a bad idea or a bad investment. It just all, if they pencil out and it fits your investment strategy. And again, going back to, are you successful with doing that? Are your deals working out or are they not? Um, And a lot of times, again, I don't think one deal makes a successful career. I think multiple deals makes a successful career over a prolonged period of time. There was a, an interesting uh, opportunity or anomaly perhaps years ago uh, when we were living in, in Texas, uh, uh, the woodlands uh, just north of Houston, north of spring. Um, it was, it was growing. It's still growing, but the woodlands is a little, almost like a sub community north of Houston, but uh, like a oil and gas Mecca, you know, Exxon bought a massive, um a site there Anna Dark is there Baker Hughes is there she so had five or six big oil and gla- gas uh HQs up there and there was a group of guys buying homes and I would this was it's probably been 15 years now I guess but you know d- good homes not not your low end rentals these would be 3 and 400,000 dollar properties and there was such a huge volume of these companies bringing in executives from other satellite groups and needing to place to rent a property for them for six, seven months at a time. And that's all these guys did. They rented out these, you know, four or $500,000 properties for five and 6,000 bucks a month being paid by Anadarka or being paid by Exxon, uh, higher end, medium term rentals. But again, that's a, that's a very, very specific situation and environment. And I'm they did well, I'm sure, whether it continues to work now. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but here you're still into property management. You know, you're still into maintaining homes. So he's I don't know. There's a lot more to yeah. choose from with your normal single family rental, in my opinion. A lot more. I think a lot of the you know, when you hear all these people say, I, I don't like it because of property management. The first thing I think of and what I think I hear predominantly is that the, the folks have tried to manage these things themselves. And, and it's like, I mean, it's, it, it's not it's not fun. You know, it's 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 not, you know, you, you may you're going to have your good tenants, you're going to have your bad tenants. I think where you can eliminate that is, and again, you have to factor this into your numbers when you're looking at a deal, a realistic property management fee. And sometimes I think people want to pay less, but they're going to get poor service that's going to cost them in the long run. Pay a little bit more for a highly qualified, vetted out property manager. They're going to make your life a lot easier. And that extra two or three percent you pay is going to make a massive difference. And I think too many people 
will either don't pencil their deal outright and factor in a realistic property management fee and try and do it themselves and get themselves in trouble. They don't understand local laws, local regulations, eviction laws, whatever it may be. A qualified property manager can take care of all that stuff for you. Just pay them what they're worth and make sure it works with your deal. But even then, that doesn't take you out of certain decision-making. No, you, yeah. uh, sure. But the day-to-day, it's taken you yeah, out of no, totally. But I mean, I, I think this is what people don't understand too, is that one way or another, you got to make decisions, property manager or not. And sometimes they're hard decisions. Sometimes you don't know how to make the decisions, you know, which tenant to accept. Now the property manager will help you figure that out. But at the end of the day, it's your call. You know, when you when you do get an eviction or someone moves and you have a make ready, what are you going to do? How much money are you going to spend? Do we need to go after the tenant for tearing stuff up? You know, there's still decision making. It's not like it's not like it's passive. No, I mean, it's just not. I mean, I've been doing this for over 20 years. Our property manager that handles all our business in Maryland and is now essentially a part of our operation. He'll call me sometimes and say, what do you think? And I'll say, don't ask me. You make the decision. You're the one that's, that's a good doing it. You're, you're doing that's it good. day in and day out. I trust your judgment better than my own at this point because I'm not screening these people day in and day out. Uh, and that's the thing about a property manager. You know, you again, if you pay them what they're worth and you've done your homework and your due diligence, there are very good property managers out there. Now, me personally, I'm not trying to knock nationwide property management companies, but I'm a big believer in you need a property manager that focus, focuses primarily on that geographic market, you know, that knows it inside and out. And I don't think you really get that with a nationwide property manager or property management company, I should say. So, you know, there are definitely some pitfalls out there. And I think there's some things you need to avoid. But a good property manager will make life a lot easier for you and um, it can be a difference maker. Peter, are we talking too much? Did you need to say something? <laughs> no, not at all. I was going to say my aunt and uncle live in the woodlands in Tex- Texas that came to oh, mind. Oh, is that right? Yeah, when you said mm-hmm. that. Um, but no, I was just thinking, you know, do we want to continue that conversation or should we uh, should we save it to the next uh podcast because like I said, I I I, th- I think that that is a common theme is the property management, the work that goes into the property management. Um, I had a mentor that, you know, managed the properties himself for years and years and years, uh, was very active, got a property manager, and he would always say, now I just manage the property manager. And I mean, so it's not like it's completely passive to, to go off a of Wade's point. Um, and, and it's to say, like, you, you know, I, I like what you were saying, Wade, because it's like, you have to make decisions at the end of the day. You know what I mean, whether you're going to be active or completely passive investors, like even investors who invest in our fund, you, you have to make a decision, you know, are you going to invest? Yes or no. How much are you going to invest? What fund are you going to invest in? Um, you know, all that, where's the money coming from? Is it private, uh, personal money? Is it, um, uh, IRA money, you know, so it, it, it's going to have to come down to to making decisions either way. Um, well, you know, and you so, have to assess the fund manager, right? I mean, exactly. Are these guys, I mean, are these guys doing what they say they're going to do. 
Exactly. So, yeah. and so you, you run into an entire, you know, a whole another set of, you know, decisions to make and research and due diligence to do and things like that. So I think we covered a lot of different topics. And, um, you know, I, I think we, you, Ron, you gave some good insight there on the property management side. I say we pick this up, uh, you know, next next episode and, and we'll we'll see where we go. You know what I mean? Because I know we've been talking about the construction side and I I, I kind of liked where we were heading there. But I think it was one of those big takeaways, you know what I mean, where where I think people, um, especially when it comes to single family, and, and I know this is the case in multifamily too, because I know a lot of people who do tell me and it's the same thing. Like you're if you're managing the property manager on a 200 unit apartment complex, there's a lot of decisions to be made there as, as well. You know what I mean? It's a lot of phone calls and things like that. So I think, you know, we should take a deeper dive into the property management. We'll just need to see, you know, we'll see where our next conversation goes and, and where it leads us. Um, but I think this was a great conversation and uh, I think there were some really cool takeaways and uh, I'm sure we could talk a lot more about a lot of the things we talked about, but I say we leave it there for now. Well, there you have it. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing On Point podcast. Be sure to subscribe and join us live on one of our virtual meetups. You can find more information on our website at gsprei.com. That's gsprei.com. Thank you again and God bless. We'll look forward to catching you on the next one.